0: Release the Geek, the official podcast of GeekXP.
1: Ah. Curse
0: your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Uncute. Oh, Question to you, Rose. Run for your life. Stupid Fatality. I'm Batman. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you happen to be. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join us for Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. Matthew Dow Smith is an American comic book illustrator, colorist, and author. He's worked on a range of titles for DC, Marvel, Dark Horse, and other independent publishers, including Hellboy, Sandman Mystery Theater, Doctor Who, The X-Files, Starman, Beast of the Black Hand, The X-Men, and many more. He's also releasing his new work, Johnny Chaos, in weekly installments on Twitter, which you can find via Matthew Dowsmith, and he's also just announced the formation of his own studio, Skeleton Tree Medium. Matthew was kind enough to spare some time to chat about many things, including his path to geekdom, what would be a good starting point for the Cthulhu mythos for a new fan, why he's started his own creative studio now, and the clever logic behind why he's releasing Johnny Chaos the way he is. We also discuss the current state of accountability in the comic book industry and why there needs to be increased representation. Plus, we also geek out extensively over Doctor Who. You were warned. We pass this over to the diva for her rating. Franco, what did the diva have to say?
1: The diva has enjoyed this podcast and rates it...
0: It'd work nicely with vinegar. More than a mere smattering of salty language, so discretion is advised for younger listeners. Thank you kindly to both Franku and the Diva for the rating, but before we fully get underway, a reminder of the Fueled by Death cast produced by the team at Deathwish Coffee, the world's strongest coffee. Fueled by Death is a show that asks the question, what fuels you? Very similar in sentiment to how we do things here at Release the Geek. They have a bunch of great content, having conversations with astronauts, rock stars, authors, athletes, and more. Check it out at deathwishcoffee.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to tell them that Release the Geek sent you. And now, without any further ado, please join me, Les Allen, as we release The Geek with Matthew Dow Smith. And now, we're releasing The Geek. <laughs> what is your confession?
1: I'm now live. Thank you. All right,
0: so what do you really think are on Mars?
1: <laughs> you know the best thing about doing johnny chaos i will tell you the best thing about doing johnny chaos yeah. is sending ron mm-hmm. sending ron the new chapters yeah. getting an email from ron that is essentially like i hate you
0: <laughs> i was uh, I, I did want to ask the um mm-hmm. the 90s villain lineup in johnny chaos yeah it's, yeah it's so 90s it's like I could recognize each one of them from a 90s Spotify playlist. That was that <laughs> <laughs> that was that was what it immediately reminded me of. That is, these, these super yeah. villains are so 90s.
1: Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is that the most 90s thing that I did in that entire spread, no one's really commented on, which is there's one character who just randomly has pouches in a bunch of places <laughs> that don't actually make sense. <laughs> But
0: what could that I mean, possibly allude to?
1: I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean that, but that was kind of the idea with this whole project. Was um, you know, I broke into comics in the '90s. I love comics in the '90s, and, and it's obviously like a huge part of my um, creative DNA. But like, this is Johnny KS is sort of like this is the comic I wish I could have done in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. So I tried to like. I tried to sort of slide in as much of that sort of aesthetic as possible. I mean, honestly, in a funny way, it's like this weird amalgam of uh, James Robinson and Tony Harris's Starman. Yeah. And uh, Grant Morrison and Duncan Fogredo's Kid Eternity, just because that was such a good book.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, They're a little miniseries they did. And like, I've been carrying this idea around for like 20 years. But really, it was like everything that I loved about 90s comics. And now, 20 years later, when I, finally as i'm sure we'll discuss had no choice but to do it Mm -hmm. um it was interesting to see sort of like how much that had changed so it was no longer it was no longer just you no, know, here's a fun superhero story. And I think the original story was really, it was like Johnny Chaos running around fighting a bunch of giant robots. Cause I like drawing giant robots. <laughs> um, and, but now it's this sort of interesting meditation uh, or at least interesting to me and I hope to other people as well. But it's its me sort of exploring like what it means to be a hero, but also exploring all that stuff that I loved about 90s comics. You didn't need a cape; You could just put on a leather jacket and a pair of goggles like Starman Mm-hmm. And you know, have a cosmic staff, but still, but you are a superhero, yeah. Um, which is, I, I think, such a great modern aesthetic. And I, I sort of, I mean, I always say this when I talk about Starman, but like, I, I sort of fundamentally believe if you release Starman today, it would still work. Mm. It would still be a fresh new comic. Um, such a great book. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, that's
0: fine. Well. I think maybe then you, you've kind of hinted at a couple of things. Maybe we need to go back to the beginning and say, uh, "What was your path to geekdom? How did it start for you?" Oh God! I mean,
1: geekdom or comics, because I am—I am both a—I uh, am a colossal nerd about so many as, things.
0: As as you will, whichever whichever yeah. one, uh, whichever well, one you remember first.
1: Um. I mean, jeez, where, did where? I didn't even know if I could, re- I, I sort of place it back to Star Wars. I'm yep. old enough that I, I saw Star Wars in the theater, and my poor father took me to see Star Wars in the theater like five or six times. And I know he did not like that movie, or at least he didn't understand that movie or wasn't into it. Yeah. And he kept taking me back, um, for which I'm always grateful. But it kind of started with Star Wars. And um I was obviously like everyone in my generation just obsessed with Star Wars. And I, I remember when they first started putting out the toys and my mom was at a grocery store and um, they used to have those giant sized Marvel treasuries. Do you remember? Yes. That? Yeah. And they had, they had two for Star Wars part one and part two, and they had the treasury of number two. Of Star Wars at the grocery store, and she's like, "Oh well, Matt likes star wars I'll buy him this <laughs> and she brought it home to me now. The fun part of that is that was drawn by Howard Chakin, who I briefly shared a studio with uh, when I was in l a um, very briefly. It was mm-hmm. uh, me and Steve Mitchell, who was inking me a lot at the time, and Tommy Lee Edwards, which was insane to sit next to tommy um, and but it, it was kind of howard's deal and and sure. uh you know, he was, in, he was in one day and I said, you know, I kind of worked up the courage to be like, you know, Howard, just so you know, um, like you drew the first comic that I ever read. And he just looks at me with a completely straight face and says, don't blame me. And walks away. <laughs> it's but anyway, that not was not
0: my fault. <laughs>
1: it's not my fault. Thanks, Howie. Um, yeah, but I mean that, so Star Wars was kind of the entry point. I mean, after that, I mean, it was 1977 or so. And, uh, you know, I got it. I saw like my first episode of Doctor Who, and that was just like an eye-opening experience. And, know, Battlestar Club, the original. In the U.S.? Um, my brother in the U.S. Well, they used to show it, um, on PBS. Um, okay. and it was 70, it was 77, 78, maybe. Um, I know what year it is by like where my family was living. Uh because we moved around a lot, but um, I think it was like 78 or so And -hmm. they were just showing the first season of tom baker So my first episode of doctor who was Ark in space uh, episode two And if you if you're an obsessive doctor who nerd like me, you'll know that that episode ends with one of the giant uh insectile waspy were falling out of a cupboard at the very end and that was basically like, okay, well, whatever I'm doing next week, I'm going to be watching this to find I, out like what happened.
0: Is that the story that Adric? At the no, end? that's Earthshock. Earth shock. Earth shock I, I keep getting out in space confused. At, at just the idea of Adric on the ship.
1: You know, et no, but it was, it, it, it was sort of, that was my introduction to a bunch of different things. It was like, I got into Doctor Who and then like I got into Sherlock Holmes because there were sort of resonances there and Mm -hmm. um, I think Battlestar Galactica the original version was on for like that one year that it was on so I like saw that while it was on I mean it it was an amazing time to be a nerd and you had like the old Batman show was still on reruns Mm -hmm. Um, so it was it was just a, a cornucopia I mean at the same time now, it's nothing compared to what you have access to now, but um you know there's so much other stuff too that to kind of to, <laughs> to get to it but yeah so that that was sort of like I just was always kind of a nerdy kid um you know i i read more probably more books uh you know before the age of thirteen than is probably healthy. I was drawing comics um, I started drawing comics um, i uh we were on vacation with my family and I bought a copy of Legion of Superheroes. I bought it. I, I was into the Legion of Superheroes, but I, I got when we were on this particular vacation. I got I think it was the second chapter of the Great Darkness saga. I got it off of a news rack like you used to wow. do back in the day, mm-hmm. and that was my introduction to Keith Giffen. And I basically spent the next five years of my life redrawing legion of superheroes characters Mm -hmm. from keith's keith's run that just amazing run he did um so yeah and so that's how i learned to draw i learned how to draw by copying keith giffen that's which is hilarious Mm -hmm. everybody picks up on the mignola thing everybody looks at my work he's like oh obviously this guy's in a mignola and yes Mm -hmm. yes i'm in mignola but only one person has ever picked up have you like? Do you really like Keith Giffen? And I'm like, yes. Yeah, that's how I learned how to draw.
0: So um, yeah, that would be but yeah, that would be an excellent quiz question.
1: It really not that anyone would, would care. Like, who did you rip off as a small child uh, to learn to learn how to draw? Is that to my credit, some... I fight. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: John. Sorry, no, no. Uh, it's uh, it's something that um, we talk about with comic uh, comic book artists that uh, and comic writers. That as they were fans of comic books, once they get past the story and go deeper into the artwork and deeper into the creative process, they recognize this person has this style, this person is this type sure. of artist. Was this the first time you kind of recognized, oh, was, was that the, the door opening for this is a it, bigger thing? It was
1: him. It was It was Keith. And I think possibly, um, was it uh, like Pat Broderick? It was somebody on, on Fury of Firestorm. Mm-hmm. But I was noticing that I really liked the issue. I really liked some issues and I didn't like other issues. And those, the issues I liked were all the ones drawn by. I believe it was, I'm probably wrong and I will feel terrible if I am, but it was, I believe it was Pat. Mm-hmm. Um, or there was an artist on that book that I, I, I liked. And it Like me beginning to figure out you know, the, the guys that I really responded to, um, the artists I really responded to. And and the I don't think I've ever told this story, but I, I considering, you know, I've worked with Mike Mignola, um, was very lucky to work with Mike Mignola. I obviously really admire the way he draws, and I, I've applied a lot of his thinking to my own work. The first time I saw Mike Mignola's work, I hated it. I could not stand it. It was, yeah, I was like, what is this? This is mm-hmm. weird. <laughs> I don't like this at all. He did like a World of Krypton or something. Okay. It's like a miniseries at DC back in the early 80s or something. It, it may even have been some of his first work. I think he did some stuff at Marvel early on. But I remember seeing it and just being like, oh, I don't like this at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and and frankly, kind of the same way about Jack Kirby. Um, I. I didn't like Jack Kirby's work until I started to learn more about drawing comics Mm -hmm. and then understanding what he was doing and seeing, "Oh, Oh, wow, this guy is amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, that, I mean, that's, that's the thing that I find really interesting about comics now. It's like when I was a kid, comics were such an accessible thing. And you could kind of go in and you didn't really have to have a lot of knowledge about the characters or, really art or, or story you just here was a here was this amazing fun thing uh, which is not a complaint about the way comics are done now they're you know much more sophisticated the techniques making them the the storytelling techniques are so much more um, sophisticated when I was a kid but there 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 is something to be said I think for for I mean I just I went down every week to the little corner drugstore and just went through spent I had a I had 75 cents which was just enough to buy a comic a piece of candy and a slurpee. And I would spend like half an hour deciding which comic I was going to buy. Mm-hmm. And I would just sit there going through the rack and, you know, but it was like the second issue of fury of firestorm. It was, mm-hmm. you know, like one of the first issues of blue devil. There's just all this really amazing stuff going on, but I could pick up any of those books and, you know, I was instantly, I was instantly hooked, which, which is a, a lot of fun. mm
0: mm-hmm what point did, did you take art at school? I didn't really, I mean, I
1: took, uh, you know, in the States when you're in middle school and, and middle school, you gotta have no choice. You, you have to do PE and you have to do art. And I was just kind of always in the corner drawing weird little monsters and things. Um, okay. and I, I kind of got out of comics actually, I think probably, you know, middle of high school or something. I just kind of I, I mean, I discovered girls and I, did, I was playing bass in a rock band um and i and I was just was kind of quite out of a few tropes
0: I, there <laughs>
1: yeah there are <laughs> there are quite a few tropes there and i uh I went to school I was actually going to be a theater major um for sound design um which I was really into i mean i was a i was a band geek I was a theater kid i mean I was in every single nerd group on the face of the planet it was well, great you were just boxes. I know. I, I, what can I say? And I actually, I was like the, the vice president of the AV club, which I'm just saying. I didn't wear glasses yet. I wasn't wearing glasses until college. But I went to uh, I went to college to do theater, and um, I was dating a girl who uh, was really into comics, and it was I mean '89 or so, um, and she had this giant poster of Moonshadow. Uh, Mm -hmm. of Demetrius' Moonshadow with John J. Muth. And uh, she lent me her copy. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. What else do you have? And Arkham Asylum literally had just come out. Sandman had just started. And I'm like kind of sitting there going, oh my God, like comics can be this. Mm. Oh, and Mm. Enemy Ace, George Pratt's Enemy Ace, which is an insane book that people don't talk about enough. And then Dave McKean's Tages just started. It was just this amazing like, as an amazing explosion of the sort of the possibilities of what comics could be, which Mm -hmm. sort of, in a funny way tied together all of my nerdy things. It tied together sort of Doctor Who and it tied together my love of of audiovisual stuff and theater and and all those sorts of things. Um, And I I kind of grew up in a very uh, anglophilic um, family. So, you know, I watched PBS Masterpiece Theater. So we are watching all the sort of like the creme de la creme of British shows that kind of came over to the States. So, um, you know, I was probably the only 13 year old kid who was reading PG Woodhouse, at Uh, least in America. (laughs) So going, hey, that joke's funny. (laughs) Um, But also like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy I was really into and just Douglas Adams in general. Douglas Adams is like just a a huge hero of mine. So, yeah, so it's just in in a funny way, like that particular period of comics where you had sort of the British invasion coming over, like Mm -hmm. everything about that spoke to every core of my being. So I immediately said, oh, well, okay, I could do that. No problem. I'll make (laughs) comics now. Sure. So, and that's kind of what happened. (laughs) Um, Took a little while to break in, but that's, I mean, that's basically what happened. I just, it was such an amazing time, and I was exposed to these amazing pro- projects. And much like Howard, I, I, I've now worked with uh, Mark Dematias a couple of times, and I just, like, constantly like to remind them, you know, listen, Mood Shadow is the reason why I'm doing this now.
0: Wow.
1: Um, you know, no pressure. Better make this story really <laughs> good, Mark. <laughs> how, uh, <laughs> Which is the so, same, but yeah, go ahead.
0: How were your, uh, how, how supportive were your parents with, with these sorts of endeavors?
1: Good! I mean, it's funny, I mean, you know, they, I think maybe like a lot of parents, they just don't quite, it's not a world that they understand. It's certainly not a lifestyle that they understand. It's a very difficult lifestyle when you're, you're making comics and, and being freelance. But, you know, they're, they, I think my mom's probably my biggest fan, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. Um, and, you know, if anything bad happens to any character's mom, I am going to hear about it. <laughs> she is going to tell me. And I've done, Sadly, I've done several stories where, like, the father figure is dead, so that's been brought up a couple of times. Oh,
0: right? Why do you
1: Why do you keep killing dads? <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it's amazing. I mean, they're they're very supportive of it, but I think it is it is difficult for any parent when your kid kind of comes home and says, "Hey, I I want to be a professional artist," or "Hey, I want to play in a rock band." Mm-hmm. Um, I I think it's a little easier for them to. see... A little easier if she got I would, I would like to be an investment banker. <laughs> 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 and you can retire now, and I'll yeah. just take care of you. Uh, Brian, but yeah, you me. know.
0: Uh, I was fortunate yeah, enough ahead. to, uh, to um, host Brian Stolfre. on a panel here at a convention in South Africa. And the story that he told about his mother. Um, oh, yeah. She, she, keeps ref- she still refers to them as the funny books. That he works <laughs> on, but uh, one one particular Sunday, uh, the ladies of her church group and her, uh, so they were dressed up. Sunday walking down the street, and they passed a they passed a comic shop, and some of the ladies went. Well, let's see if Brian's works in there. So this collection of ugly <laughs> black women wandering to this comic store, and the guy behind the counter had no idea what to think. <laughs> um yeah, ladies can can i help you can i help you and um they they said do, do you know brian Stelfries? And i was like oh yeah absolutely and they went well this is his mom and she's and he's gone nuts he's, like brian had his own section in comic and he's giving <laughs> her comic books for free and oh wow that, but that's this is so far down the line in his career um when she saw it, when she saw the Black Panther movie and the success that he made, she gave him a call and went, oh, well, well done. It's almost, I still don't get this thing, but you're doing well. So well done.
1: I mean, it's such a crazy and strange world. I mean, mm-hmm. not just, not just to be a professional, but to be a fan, to be a reader. Room. It, it It's always been, at least for my generation, it was always something slightly, slightly distant from sort of the rest of the world, you kind of were on your, your own little niche. And, you know, you get little flare ups of it breaking out into the larger culture, like the Christopher Reeve Superman movie or Tim Burton's Batman movie, but it's really only been what the last, how long has Marvel been making movies? 10 years. I mean, it's only, yeah, it's really only been since Iron Man where I feel like it's, it's broken out into the mass culture in the sort of way mm. where, you know, I, I think more, more people sort of understand what it is. I, but at the same time, I, I, mean, I had a conversation with somebody uh, where they asked me what I, was, what I did. And I was like, oh, you know, I do comics. They're like, oh, they still make those? And it's like, well, you know, yeah. Have you seen any of the movies? And they're like, oh, yeah, I love those movies. Like there was a disconnect between really? the movie and the comic, which I thought, was, I thought was really, really interesting. But, you know, geek culture is now mass culture um which is sort of kind of crazy <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it's cool but it's a little weird
0: yeah it's uh are you are you a uh, I would almost say a reactionary geek in that all these young geeks have it good and it wasn't like that in my day and you, know, <laughs> you need to no uh, actually you need to go through the stuff I'm i not. went through <laughs>
1: i'm I'm actually not, and actually the the thing that taught me that was um my very first doctor who convention well, not my very first my dad actually again to his credit took me to a doctor who convention when I was a little kid your,
0: your, dad, your um, dad seems to need a lot of credit no my my dad
1: and my mom both deserve a lot of credit and have put up with a lot from me over the years, but they're they're both amazing uh and um but my, my first, uh, the first convention I, I went to sort of as a professional and I was doing Doctor Who comics at the time. So um, I was going there both sort of as a fan, uh, I mean, a, a longtime fan of the show, but also sort of connected in my own weird way to it. And it was really interesting because this was the David Tennant period. This is like mm-hmm. this massive explosion of popularity of Doctor Who. And um, like when I was a kid, like no one knew what Doctor Who was. And it was kind of your special little nerdy thing, yeah. and you sort of clung to it like uh, the one ring. Um, and you were very reaction—you were very reactionary. It's like, oh, are you are you a real Doctor Who fan? Can you name every Doctor? Can you name every companion? You know, and that's—I think.
0: Oh, that's, I'd fall down on the companions. Uh, I would—that I would fall down on.
1: Remind, remind me to tell you a funny story.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but I, I I went to this convention and, and it was really sort of my first real interaction with Doctor Who fans once the, once the show was revived and seeing like little kids and seeing teenage, teenage girls, teenage boys and then also people my age and people even older and just seeing everybody being so excited about it. And I remember just like, kind of like going from a panel or something. I was going from one room to another and hearing somebody say something along the lines of like, Oh, these kids don't understand Dr. Who. Uh, and I was just, mm-hmm. and I, it just was kind of gnawing at me, like all through the panel, which um, was probably with Tony Lee. And I was probably making fun of Tony Lee, the entire panel it was my writer on, on the Dr. Who comic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember kind of like turning it over and being like, no, actually it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Like how, how is this a bad thing? This is great. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, suddenly like, I'm, it's not like an, I'm not alone moment, but it was suddenly like all these other people who were excited about the same thing. It was just, and it was like, I guess I just had never really thought about that. And and so it was a big, big shift in my thinking. It was just like, no, shut up. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. it's It's like, you know, I and I I have the conversation all the time with people. You know, when you do, if you do any Doctor Who thing, the question you get in every single interview is, "Who's your favorite doctor?" Which is yeah. like asking me, which, "Which of my cats is my favorite cat?" It's
0: just not.
1: <laughs> it's just not a fair question. Right. Um,
0: but uh, who, 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 so, who's who your favorite doctor? And why oh, of Tom course, Lager? you can
1: ask it. Uh, Well, I will always have a soft spot for Tom Baker because he is my first doctor So Mm -hmm. I'm actually more I'm actually more fond of specific periods of Doctor Who Right, okay I'm I'm more fond of the um, Hinchcliffe and Holmes Tom Baker stuff Mm -hmm. because that was my first introduction to Doctor Who But also he was telling horror stories And I love horror stories and then my my the last my other I love the Patrick and stuff that whole mm-hmm. era uh, is yeah. just amazing. But also that those last couple of years of of Sylvester McCoy, and I remember like this is another moment like realizing oh there are artists who draw these comics was like trying to figure out why do I like this show so much now. I mean I've always loved it, but like these like last couple seasons like these are really good. Like I'm really into where this is going. Mm-hmm. And of course then it gets canceled, but still and going. Oh there's a person called a script editor and there's this guy Andrew Carmell mm-hmm. who kind of came in and said I'm going to kind of shake things up a little bit and like there was a window into sort of how TV was made and I think when those were happening I was in college and I remember the guy who lived across the hall from me his mom would tape the new episodes off the TV and mail him the tapes and every week we would sit in his wow. we'd sit in his dorm room Watching the tapes of those last couple seasons of Doctor Who, and it's hilarious because I'm friends with Andrew Carvel now, and it's just kind of like, how wow. did that happen? <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I literally just sent him an email like two two hours ago. <laughs> right, but it's just it's just one of those weird things. But anyways, hmm. but m- my point being that like I talk to people now, and you have a conversation about who your favorite Doctor is, and you you have people like, well, you know, I've never really watched any of the old stuff, mm-hmm. and you get to have this like. Gandalf moment of saying, "Well, if you really want to get into old Doctor Who, mm-hmm. start with the Hinchcliffe and Holmes stuff, and like guiding, guiding the younglings, mm-hmm. <laughs> guiding the younglings to the good stuff." I mean, let's be honest, old Doctor Who—you know—if you didn't grow up with it, it's a hard watch.
0: Oh, the uh, uh, there's a there's a there's a couple of points I wanted to 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 add on to you, to you here. Um, yes, the old stuff is tough especially like the um like the original series the ray guns that had no special effects apart from the sparkler mechanism inside the plastic that you could still see the string on the ships those sorts of things it's it's a it's a deeper suspension of disbelief required (laughs) to watch the older ones
1: it is, and, and I think if you watched it when you were a kid, mm. you were already in that mode. Yeah. So it's very easy for me to watch an episode. And, you know, yeah, of course, mm. the set is wobbling, but I don't notice yeah.
0: that. Yeah.
1: You know, but I, I whereas a, a a newer audience. Yeah. But as for your, your companion thing, I will tell you mm. the second yes. most, I will tell you the second most embarrassing nerdy thing. Other than the time I just got nerd all over Paul Cornell, who was one of the writers of the new show. When I first yeah. met him, it was basically like, oh my god! <laughs> um... Which I have done to him repeatedly now, um, so I did they did that big fiftieth anniversary mini series, our mm. Maxi series Prisoners of time, and I got the script, and I said there's this big double page spread, and the the idea was that all the companions from all the doctors or at least as many as you could fit in this two page spread they're all like they've been captured, wow. they're all in tubes and the i th- i think the 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 description in the actual script is basically like just draw whoever you want you know just go nuts um just get you know as many of them as you can as you can into these two pages and i sat there and i drew them all from memory in the specific costumes from specific episodes from memory and i finished that and went oh my god i am such a nerd <laughs> <laughs> But now I'll tell you my other one, which is also awesome. the, the <laughs> single most nerdy, nerdy thing I've ever, I've ever confessed to. Was um, that same year they had actually had me write a, ha- had me write a fiftieth anniversary story that was for the BBC that went into, um, I think that a Blu-ray release that they were doing. They did this like big Blu-ray collection, um, and so we did a little comic for them to put in there. And um, I'm not a huge fan service guy. If I'm writing something like a Doctor Who thing, I, I'm, I'm trying to tell an interesting story. I don't, I don't want the fan stuff to get in the way. But the BBC was basically like, cram as much fan stuff in here as you can. And I'm like, okay.
0: <laughs> fan service. So
1: nice. fa- Fan service. So I, I did. I just stuck things. There were things in every panel. And the poor artist who had to draw it, I'm like sending <laughs> like, you know, screenshots of stuff saying, this is what a crinoid looks like. Um, and I, I turn it in and my, my lovely editor, <laughs> Jenton Tipton, who's a good friend of mine, gets it and is like, no one's going to know what all this stuff is. Can you like Rubbish. do like a glossary in the uh-huh. back? And I'm like, sure, no problem. So I wrote this entire glossary of what every all of the Easter eggs that are in this uh-huh. thing. And cited, you know, the first appearance of each thing. And I wrote that entire thing without looking anything. From memory up. as well.
0: <laughs> nice. yeah. This That's is, the nerdiest thing great. I've ever done. This, this is, is embarrassing. It no, it's great. There's, um, the, 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 point about the, the point about the reactionary geek, like mm-hmm. the, the kids don't understand. There was a, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the uh, online comic XKCD.
1: No, I don't know that one.
0: XKC, I will send you a link to this particular comic. It's a guy who is uh, he's a maths guy. And he does oh, a lot of cool. humour, stick figure humour that sometimes has a good maths bent. Um, and I like okay. Was, it's just, and they're very, like, one panel type thing, sometimes two panels. Sometimes he does these gargantuan pieces of artwork that you actually have to scroll around to find everything. Uh, That's like, cool. Paleolithic um errors and you have to <laughs> scroll down to that corner to find it as opposed to that corner to find it. he's it, fantastic um but uh one particular comic was it's called the one in ten thousand comic and it's that he tries not to make fun of people who don't who admit they don't know something because yeah. every person that knows there are on average 10,000 people who don't yeah and he gives the maths breakdown that X number of people by 30, 100% of these people know number of birth rates, da, 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 da. So on average, 10,000 people a day are learning something for the first time. So now he gets to open his nerd doorway to this. Like somebody says, diet Coke and Mentos is a thing. And he said, (laughs) this is your lucky day. You're one of the 10,000, come with me. That's cool.
1: I love that attitude.
0: Yeah, so being able to open it up to... Like, like there, there are fifty years of Doctor Who, and forty yeah. of them existed before Eccleston rebooted, etc. And you've got, ama- I mean, I still think of the Talons of Wing Chiang and I still get <laughs> chills thinking about. Oh yeah. They were able to do amazing horror, amazing suspense shows, and you can go back and experience this entire thing in a context that you like because you already like Doctor Who, and now there are all of these amazing these amazing series from the past, and just go and explore them.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, this is this is the fun thing about being a geek, <laughs> um, being being a nerd. I mean, yeah, I've I've, I've never quite understood the gatekeeper concept. Um, That's, that's a rough one. That's a rough one for me because I, for one thing, like I don't have guilty pleasures. I have pleasures. I don't care what you think. (laughs) You don't, if you don't like this comic, fine, it's not for you. Mm -hmm. Um, But I like being able to say, um, I worked for, I worked in a bookstore for off and on for 10 years, even while doing comics full time. Because one, when you're doing comics, it's good to have like, a paycheck every week <laughs> that you know is gonna <laughs> that you know is gonna show up. But also, you know, I I, I love books and I I, I love reading. And the best thing about this job, I I basically insisted that they put me in charge of the horror section.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And my and basically my entire mission when when people came in and working at the horror section was to be there and be like, well, what do you like? I will I will introduce you to someone you don't know. Mm-hmm. And I probably one of my favorite authors, F. Paul Wilson, which, again, is insane because he and I have worked together. Um, I played bass in his band a couple of times. <laughs> um, he 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 wrote pretty much my my favorite horror novel of all time, keep which he he and I then we did a graphic novel of it. Uh, but it's a brilliant novel and. I swear, like we sold so many copies of that book while I was working at that store. It's like we just had to keep ordering it because it's such a great. It was such a great starting point for people. Like, I like Stephen King, but like, who else like could I read? Mm. And you'd be like, actually, you know, this is this is a good place to start. But I I like that aspect of it. Uh, I I love that about the bookstore, along with the free coffee and the uh, very very large (laughs) discount Uh on books. That was that was nice too. But um, but yeah, like.
0: Oops. Go ahead. Sorry, how would you lead somebody then into uh, like the Cthulhu mythos and Lovecraft? Oh, where where boy, would boy? You...
1: That's a tough one.
0: Yeah, because I mean, you've got you've got like the the mountains of madness and the original stuff, but then you've got a lot of the modern day stuff that you can touch on. Where would sure? You... Where would you give a starting point to somebody who wanted to dabble? They've seen a role playing group, or they've seen the memes online of this big tentacle-headed freak thing, where would they start?
1: Boy, Lovecraft is a tough one because you can't start with Lovecraft even though you should because Lovecraft is so, one, deeply racist, two, oh, yeah. <laughs> very, very difficult to, uh, to get through. Um, and that's it's funny because I'm actually listening for reasons that I can't reveal yet. I'm listening to all of the Lovecraft stories on audio Right for now. reasons
0: you cannot reveal.
1: For reasons that I cannot reveal. Um that if that happens that won't happen for a little while. But I as part of the so difficult research process for that potential project okay. I'm listening to. Yeah, I'm listening to all of Lovecraft. And it, boy is it difficult to get through. <laughs> and I I read all that I read all that stuff when I was a kid where like for some reason like the the circular Paragraphs and just inscrutable language like mm. didn't bother you. Just like yeah, sure, whatever. But now, as a, as a as a writer, older, I'm like, oh, that sentence, oh my god, just oh, <laughs> stabbed me in the heart. Um, you know, I think probably God. There's so many obscure places that you could start. Um, there's a great author um, Fritz Lieber mm-hmm. who. You know, it's probably better known in nerd be circles also, yeah. for yeah, for Farfar, yeah, um, which Mike Maniola did a comic book of. Yeah. Uh, but um, he's done some he's done some Cthulhu mythos stuff that's just fantastic. But probably the best place to start is uh, the Stephen King short story Jerusalem's Lot, which. Not only is a prequel to, I think, Stephen King's best novel, Salem's Lot, which we can fight about later.
0: No, no, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm there. It's his,
1: it's his best novel, uh, but also it, it really plays, it, it plays with not just, not just the Cthulhu mythos, which there, there is a, a mythos creature in there, but it also mm-hmm. like does the structure, the the structure of all those sort of epistolary novels, I'm sure I'm saying that word wrong. Um, but like Dracula and call of Cthulhu, you know, it's, it's a story told in, in diary entries. Um, but it's a great little story and it's, it's, if you enjoy that, then that could lead you into maybe having less of a hard time with Cthulhu. Otherwise just go and watch in the mouth of madness, which is, I think the best H.P. Lovecraft movie that has nothing to do with H.P. Lovecraft. It's just, it's an amazing piece of work.
0: I had a, um, there was a, back in the day, uh, in City, a group of us went to a movie marathon when they used to have those in cinemas. They showed four movies back to back, starting at 9 p.m. The, of, two, of all the four movies, the only two that I can remember were Powder, and they finished off with In the Mouth of Madness.
1: Yeah, I mean, you have to finish with in the mouth of madness. How do you watch anything it, after that?
0: There was there was bubblegum stuff. Powder was a little deep. Powder was a little sensitive. And then there's yeah. Sam Neill going insane, um, yep. with Jürgen Promsche, Um, <laughs> which, yeah, which, yeah. I mean, you know, a bunch of bleary-eyed geeks stumbling out of a cinema at three a.m. into an abandoned <laughs> car park. going, What the hell did we just? <laughs>
1: that is possibly the worst possible time to watch that film <laughs> My, oh,
0: man yeah. it is it's a highly underrated film it's it's a fantastic it, it's a it fantastic was, piece of work it was great we've we, i'm i'm totally happy geeking and nerding out on these topics there are some yes. key things that i do want to discuss with you one of which okay was a particular announcement which prompted me to reach out uh, ah yes there was uh there was an announcement about, and considering the interest that we had, that you were reading comics through the 80s and 90s, there was a, a probably around right about 30, 30-ish years ago now, there was a a big announcement that rocked the comic book industry of certain <laughs> artists and creators who decided that they were going to go up and start their own thing and start their own studios. Um I don't know if you've got anything news related in your life. I don't know. What, I don't know what you're talking about. Well,
1: I, I, you know, it's interesting that you, you mentioned the image guys. I mean, so when I I broke into comics, what 94, maybe 93, 94, somewhere around there. Um, you know, and, and I talked about this a little bit on Twitter. Um, but you know, in comics is such a strange way to make a living. And, you know, it's, it's all really very dominated by, you know, the big two, and then, you know, the, the smaller group of publishers. But when I came in, everybody kind of had their own home. So you had like, speaking of Mignola, Mignola, Hellboy started out at this little imprint at Dark Horse called Legend, where they basically just were like, here, go do whatever you want to do, uh, which turned into Hellboy. And you got Sin City out of that. Frank Miller, they said, do whatever you want to do. And he made something very twisted. Um And then you had the image studios. And and it's funny because having kind of come in during that period, I have spent like the last 26, 27 years like wanting to find a home, wanting to find someplace where you kind of like could experiment, where you could just kind of do what you always wanted to do. Because in comics, if you're trying to make a living doing comics, you spend all of your time waiting for permission. You're waiting for an editor to say, I like this idea, let's do this. But first, let's rent it up the flagpole. And then you're waiting on four more people to give you permission to do something. And I just kind of think with, you know, between sort of the lockdown and sort of distribution being a little messed up, I just was like, I'm just gonna start my own home. So I started, I've basically started my own company. It's called Skeleton Tree Media. Um, and I've God help me, I've already like set up three projects. Um that I'm going to be writing and drawing. And, and you've, you know, seen the, you've seen the first one, Johnny chaos, which, um, (laughs) kind of like even to describe how I'm doing, we'd have to, we definitely have to back up a bit, but, um, you know, just essentially, the, the idea is very simple. It's here's an umbrella under which I can do whatever I want. And, um, with, uh, with, the COVID lockdowns, um, here in the States, And with diamond not distributing comics for a while, I just started posting chapters of stuff Mm -hmm. on Twitter and social media, and you'll be able to appreciate this. It's all Dr. Who's fault. They're all four page things with a nice little, nice little uh, cliffhanger at the end. And it's Mm -hmm. absolutely unquestionably inspired by classic who. Yeah. Um, and just putting them up for free, letting people read them, try to you know get people sort of into it, get get them following along, and um, I was really really enjoying that, uh, doing that. And it's it's leave it to me to find a way to do comics that I absolutely love and works perfectly for me, but has absolutely no money attached at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, into so into that, into mm-hmm. that the. You, we've we've already said that it's it's probably one of the best times ever to be to be alive, being a geek because there's just so yeah. much stuff out there. The opportunities then, it, considering what what happened with the image breakaway movement, that uh, there were now there's now a whole bunch of independent studios where people are doing the stuff that they want to. Would you say it's now easier than ever to be a comic book creator? Even though Yeah, and I've actually, tougher. I've been
1: saying this for the last seven years. <laughs> it is actually, listen, the minute, I always feel a little weird getting up on a soapbox, but this is going to be one of those times where I've been drawing comics a long time. So give me my soapbox. The minute digital, the minute digital comics became a thing, mm-hmm. that was the minute where anybody can be a comic book creator. If you can if you can sit down and you can write it or draw it or do both, you are now a comic book creator. It doesn't cost you a penny. All it costs you is your time. And I, yeah, I mean, they, the minute Comicsology was announced, I went out, I bought the first generation of iPad. I was like, okay, let's figure out how this works. Cause this is clearly going to be the way comics are going to be from now on. Uh-huh. It's taken longer than I, I expected for it to be sort of adopted. Um, and it's still in its inf- infancy, but it's like, this is what comics are going to be people. Um, and, and it's, it's amazing. You, if you finish a comic book, you can put it up. Now, the tricky part comes, how do you make a living doing it that way? Um, and that's the fun experiment I'm living through right now. Right. Um, but, it's, I just, I think that's really, really cool. I think that's absolutely amazing. Um, you know, you can you can finish a comic, you can put it up on your own website, you can put it up on a blog, or you can do what I'm doing, which is, you know, Twitter allows you to put four images in a single post. So I'm going to do four page chapters and just post a new, a new one every week. Um, and you have Instagram and you have Facebook and you have things like Webtoon. You know, you you have all these ways to get, get stories out. I mean, we're all still trying to figure out how to monetize that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I I always sound a little Pollyanna-ish, but I, I just I just think that's the coolest thing ever, that mm-hmm. just make a comic. Make a comic and put it up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're a comic book creator. Mm-hmm. That's my soapbox. I will get off my soapbox. No, <laughs> oh, it's...
0: it's- it's um neil neil gaiman is is famous for uh when uh, when he's asked uh how do i become a writer well well write yeah,
1: just write <laughs> something
0: yeah then, then you are a writer it's it's kind of simple and uh there was a there was a a host of web comics that exploded from the late 90s onwards for the first decade of the 2000s um like girl genius etc where sure. people found a following because they just put their stuff up there. They might've had to do the grind at the conventions in the artist alley and, and putting a piece of artwork out in front of somebody saying, will you please go and have a look at this? But sure. now, if you can find your, your tribe of a thousand, 5,000, 10,000 people anywhere in the world, then that's, that's an audience. That's your potential market.
1: Yeah, and it, I, I mean, the thing with comics, being a comic book, co- comic book professionals. I mean, none of us are doing this for money. None of us are making that much money. Very, very few of us are making that much money. Mm-hmm. We, we make comics because we love comics. And, you know, some of us make comics because we love Superman or we love another character. And some of us make, make comics because we just love the form. I mean, most of us are probably some sort of combination of, of, of the two things, but you know, you're not, you're not doing this to get rich, which is good because you're not going to get rich. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let's manage these expectations. (laughs) That's not going to happen.
1: Um, you know, they're for, uh, much like the one in 10,000 for every Frank Miller, there's an awful lot of not Frank Millers,
0: Mm, um, Sorry, where's my HBO and, development deal? Sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, where's mine? Um, you know, and it, so I, I think I, I don't know. It's 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 such a it is such a, a strange way to, to to make a living. Um, and you you really you do have to love it. And yeah, it's 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 nice to make a it's nice to make a living at it it's certainly nice to keep a roof over your head. Um, but I think the digital, the digital side of it opens up just the possibilities of, of so many new voices, people who didn't get to, to make comics, um, are not people who do, whose comics didn't really get attention, uh, before. And now you can put it up and, you know, you can, you can pull an audience, um, to yourself. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of the digital stuff. It's this, the skeleton tree media stuff is still going to be a bit of a learning uh, process for me. So we're doing Johnny chaos. And then I'll tell you another very dorky story. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I, I've planned on that. I I mean, basically this all happened not to to go back too far. This all happened. The minute, the minute diamond announced that they were not going to be distributing comics for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, we're all in trouble now, (laughs) Um, you know, everything's going to just kind of have to shut down for a little bit, people aren't going to have new comics, and I just was like, well, what do I do now? So I started doing short stories that I just was posting on Twitter, Uh, and those went over really, really well, and I started thinking just the way comic book minds work, we're like, oh, that worked well, what else could I do? Um, and started figuring out, well, I should do like a serialized thing, like a, a long story that people like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I started doing Johnny chaos and people really like that. I'm like, I really like doing this. I would mm-hmm. like to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. How am I going to keep doing? This? So I was like, well, I know I figured out what the next project was going to, the next story that I would do in that style, uh, which is called Amelia shadows, daughter of darkness. And I announced, okay, it's coming September 5th. So, you know Johnny chaos will be done, and then I'll start this up thing, and it's gonna be ongoing, like I'm gonna keep going with it for for a while. It doesn't have a definitive end and Then I realized that I looked at the the calendar wrong and that there are gonna be six weeks between. The end of Johnny K.S. and the beginning of Amelia Shadows,
0: uh-huh.
1: and now and now because I'm doing this myself, I'm like, well, I'm just gonna come up with something else and just do something else new in in between. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, now I'm going to do a thing uh, called Arch Nemesis, um, which will just be like a little six part thing. Um, but it's it's you can't do that when you're working for a company. Yeah, <laughs> you can't. You can't just go, I've always really wanted to do a like supernatural superhero comic. Like that was what I got into comics to do. All right. Well, I'm just going to go do that. Hmm. So hence Amelia shadows. And then because Johnny chaos is essentially my, my complicated love, love letter to nineties comics and Amelia shadows is my love letter to supernatural mm-hmm. superheroes. So like, what else is there? Oh, I know super villains. So, Arch nemesis. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I can't even begin to explain like what an exciting feeling that is as a creator, to Mm -hmm. just be like, I've got this idea. I'm just, you know, I'm just gonna think about it for an hour and then to have a whole idea and be like, Okay, great, write a little outline. That's six weeks. I'm gonna in the end of at the end of uh July, we'll start doing that. Right. Um, which is incredibly freeing. I mean I spent the, I wrote a, co-wrote with Jody Hauser, actually, a X files Origins, a couple of X-Files Origins miniseries, which were Young, Scully, and Mulder. And we probably spent a year developing the idea for that concept. Mm. Arch Nemesis was about an hour, if that. (laughs) (laughs) It it was possibly 45 minutes, if, if not 30 minutes of me just going, Oh yeah, that work. That'll be great. That'll be really really fun to do. And I could even put a giant robot in it. Yeah. Um <laughs> nice. Yeah, which is yeah. Oh, there there will be a there will definitely be a death ray in it. I've just decided if you're <laughs> going to if you're going to do a death. story about if you're going to do a story about an arch nemesis, there has to be a death ray in it. It's just mm-hmm. yeah. it's just how it is. So it's um you know, the, the business side of it is scary. Mm-hmm. Um I was part of this is how I know Ron and why I hate Ron with a burning passion that uh-huh. Ron and I worked together, at, w- Ron and I worked together at CrossGen, right. um, which is how Ron and I got to know each other. Um, and, you know, seeing a company that, that, you know, kind of started out with a really g- a grand idea and it was such a great experiment, but to kind of see where it went wrong, how it kind of grew too fast. And like, I, it was an interesting lesson. One, comic book artists should not be businessmen. It's just as <laughs> simple as that. We should not, we should not be businessmen. Um, but you know, starting something like this, starting something like your your own your own company and just going, you know, I've had a couple people reach out and be like, hey, you know, I've got this comic idea that I've always wanted to do. And, you know, would you be interested in doing it? It's like, actually, you know, I'm just gonna keep it to myself for now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, we, if, we are, if we're ever at a, at a point where, you know, we have our HBO development deal and I can start bringing people in, the mm-hmm. first thing I'm doing is hiring a colorist because <laughs> <laughs> I, be I should not be allowed to color my own books. Um, but once we have a colorist and maybe a letterer, because that's really time consuming, uh-huh. um, we'll, we'll talk about your book. But just go and do it yourself. Just mm-hmm. go and just draw it and put it up and, and really until the industry sort of starts back up at full steam, you're not doing anything else. Yeah. So, you know, do your own book. And, um, my Hollywood agent, which or my Hollywood manager, which sounds so impressive that I'm a you're Hollywood,
0: Hollywood manager, manager.
1: Oh, my, my Hollywood manager, um, Anyways, my Hollywood manager is basically like, sweet, like more IP, you know, more stuff to shop around. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's it's great. So, you know, if you're not doing anything else, what are you going to do? Stare at the wall? Are you going to watch Game of Thrones again? No, go make a comic. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, even if it's just for you.
0: Whoa. I'm not sure how I got here, but this is a really cool podcast. Well... While I'm here, I guess I'll introduce myself. I am the incredible Jeff, the host of Fueled by Deathcast, the weekly podcast from the Deathwish Coffee Company. Each week, I get to talk with a special guest from rock stars to astronauts about what they do and what fuels their passion, because we're all fueled by death. We want to leave this world a little different before we inevitably leave it for good. Follow Fueled by Deathcast on all social media. And subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, or the Deathwish Coffee Company YouTube page. But for now, let's finish this awesome podcast. Uh, the you mentioned earlier, uh, yeah. the variety of voices that can tell different stories. There was the traditionally there was the big two, but now there are different studios, and they had the they were giving creators the opportunity to make their own stuff. Go and try a different thing. And now with with effectively the access to the world of comic book fans being as open as it is, it's important to get a diverse variety of voices with ideas. How are you feeling about the current climate and what's going on in the state of the comic yeah. book? Yeah,
1: I mean, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. Um, and frankly, it's been sort of an interesting couple of years for this. Um, you know social media is a a double edged sword um and we certainly have seen you know good things or bad things obviously the the tough the tough thing for the last couple of weeks has been sort of we're having another me too moment in comics with all these people coming forward with just absolutely horrible stories and it's 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 terrifying i mean it's it's rough and uh kind of unpleasant stuff to hear um you know comics has always sort of been traditionally a boys club. And and to be blunt, it's been, you know, primarily a a white boys club. And I love the thing about comics that I really love and particularly this time of comics is anyone can make comics. So, you know, we are getting other voices. I mean, I think it's kind of, again, I'm gonna get out of soapbox again, (laughs) um, which is always fun. As I was saying, I'm, you know, a middle-aged white, white guy and so not sure really there's anything that i can say that you know other than just to shut up and let other people talk but i i will say that like at this at this time at this in this day and age if you have this uh, if you have a comic book and the entire creative team and the entire editorial team is nothing but white guys like you're doing something wrong you're 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 missing an opportunity for these other voices. And, you know, I've tried not like, I I don't say this because I think anyone should think that this is like noble of me or anything, but I've always tried to have at least somebody on the team who's not a man or is, is not white. And, you know, when you're friends with Jordi Belair and she's one of the best colorists in the industry and she wants to color you, that's, no sacrifice on my part to say hey can we get a woman to do this and her name is Jordy Belair. and she's one of the best colorists in comics um but it's like that's kind of the bare minimum you should have somebody on your book who's yeah. who's not a white guy and you know we do we have a lot to we have a lot to learn we have a lot to learn in comics where we're you know speaking of sort of gatekeepers and um, reactionary fans you know we have to we have to accept like that there are going to be other other people in in this space now i mean it's not it's not as serious as as some of this me too stuff but geez i mean what the best-selling comic uh, smile and i can never say the author's name correctly but you know It's a comic that sold, you know, more than anything that DC or Marvel was putting out as I as I understand it. And very few people in the industry even knew about it. And, you know, it's a it's a graphic novel, and she's now done a whole series of them. They're fantastic, and kids love them. You know, we we need to embrace stories that are beyond our comfort zone as direct market people. And that also means that we need to stop. You know, treating our conventions as you know the Playboy Club, <laughs> and you know, here are all these people, here are all these fans and stuff, and oh, you know, let's make inappropriate comments, let's do inappropriate things, let's let's harass people, but also not just in, <laughs> just in general as a human being. And I'm I'm sorry to be a little bit preachy, but it's not enough just to. It's not enough just to welcome these people in and not harass them at a convention mm. or not use your power as a creator or an editor to get sexual favors or, you know, gratification from someone. Just as a human being, don't do that. Yeah. I don't care it's if you're in comics. Yeah. <laughs> just as a human being, don't do that. Um, but yeah. I, I, I think what's become very, very clear in the last couple of weeks. And, and, and indeed, we, we kind of had our first encounter with this a couple of years ago now. We have a problem with this in the, in the industry and we, we need to do something about this. Um, and frankly, it's a good time for us to do it. Uh, you have social media, we're having the discussion. And you know, my, my thing with it really is who cares what I think? It, this is not my time to speak. This is what I think about this situation. Isn't important, but I would, I would encourage people, particularly other creators like me who have been in the industry for a while, to um, frankly just shut up, let other people talk for a little while, and you know, there are some amazing people out there who. Don't look like me and don't live like me, and they make amazing comics and I love them and I want to see more of them and we should make all the room in the world for them and I think digital digital opens up a path for them, and it is kind of on us to shut up <laughs> shut up and celebrate them nice. for you know for doing it so um, yeah and it's, it's a, it's a rough time. You know, there are people that I've really looked up to and there are people that I've considered friends and, you know, we've had things come out about them and, you know, <laughs> yes, there's a, there's, there's always that discussion about, you know, separating the artist from the art, but I've never been particularly good at that. So mm-hmm. it's, it's been a, it's been a unpleasant experience, but nothing, nothing as bad as as what some of these people uh some of these people have faced and and honestly it's it's on all of us in comics to you know not allow not allow this stuff to 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 exist in our right. space because this is i mean it's comics we love comics we're nerds we're mm-hmm. all nerds let's just talk about cool comics yeah and you know introduce me to a worldview that i don't have because mm. I'm a white guy from a, you know, nice middle-class family. There's lots of life experiences I don't have. Um, you know, show me show me your world. And that's, I mean, again, this is the thing about digital. And this is the thing about the industry as it, as it is now, as it's formulated now with the um, understandable focus on the direct market and and comic book shops is my mom has only ever been into one comic book shop in her entire life and my entire mm-hmm. career she didn't really start buying my comics until they were digital Oh, so people who are not comfortable in our spaces can buy comics online and don't get me wrong i absolutely support stores and there are you know so there are some of my best friends in the world are running shops and i will bend over backwards for them i will do signings i'll do anything for them in the world but there is the benefit to to the digital distribution model Mm -hmm. and the people people who aren't who aren't comfortable can go in and now it's just it's it's up to us to reach them it's up to us to make comics that they are interested in Mm -hmm. and it's up to us to elevate elevate other voices. Apparently I had a lot to say about that. Sorry. <laughs> no,
0: it's fine. The, I, I
1: I do genuinely I do genuinely believe that that it it is not the time for people like me to mm-hmm. to speak. It's time for other
0: people to speak. But. The uh, there was something that you said very very quickly there. Uh show me your world. Show me your yeah. worlds. I want to see other worlds. That's why Yes. Yeah. That's how we look that's
1: why we read comics. Yeah. That's why we like Star Wars. That's why we yes. read Star Trek or Doctor Who. Show me show me your other world and I will see my world and reflected reflected in your world. Mm-hmm. And then we start to have common ground or we start yeah. to recognize the common ground. But yeah. I mean, this is a whole other conversation. Yeah. I one of the one of my one of my favorite things, um anyone I, I don't I'm funny like I don't think you can teach writing I think you can teach the mechanics of writing but I don't think you can teach someone how to be a good writer mm-hmm. they just have to keep writing yeah. and you can occasionally be like this doesn't work or I don't like this mm-hmm. and then you know then they go off and spend years figuring out why that doesn't work but I, I don't I for some reason I, I just I don't think you can teach that but I, I have done a couple of writing workshops as a student uh, for prose, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, the first one I did, David Morell, who created Rambo, he wrote the novel First Blood, which right. is hilarious because this sort of hyper masculine, hyper American character that he developed into was written by a very nice Canadian guy <laughs> <laughs> who's who's a writing teacher. Just, David really he's an amazing writer, he's a great teacher, but he does this sort of speech your first day of, of class. And he gets up and says, and I think this is also applicable for comic book artists and writers. Said, so why, who here, you know, why do you write? And, you know, everyone in the class sort of murmurs, oh, you know, I, I have to, because I, I feel like I have to, which is kind of the accepted like serious answer to why you write or, you know, why you draw, because you, you have to. And David, David is like, yes, of course. Why do you have to? And the entire class just goes, oh, and if you can answer the question of why you have to write, you're going to be so much better off. But this kind of, this comes back to the world thing. I've always been cognizant of what my answer is to that question. And no, I will not tell you what my answer is to
0: that question, oh, but you do have one. Yeah, I do. Yes, I do have
1: one. And the funny thing is I had it instantly. Um, and uh, one of the other students who, who is now one of my best friends, um, uh, Dan Waters, who is not the guy who wrote Heathers, but he has written an excellent series of books called Generation Dead and uh, wrote mm-hmm. a book called. um Break My Heart a Thousand Times, which was made into a movie with Bella Thorne. I Still See You, I believe it's called. But anyways, he and I both knew we both had an answer. And I, we, we think we're the only people in the class who actually were like, yeah, okay, I know. I know exactly why I'm
0: doing it. Right.
1: Um, but so when I'm writing something, particularly now with these Skeleton Tree media projects, there's a reason why. There's something. I'm, I'm trying to say something. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm succeeding at it but I'm 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 trying to and and for me like I want to see I want to see those stories from other people. I want to see the story that is the reason why you write or the reason why you you draw. And it's not it's not just like a a, a larger cultural thing cuz really all I can say is about fairly boring middle class white people stuff. Mm-hmm. But like you know I I I want to see those really personal stories. I think those are I think those are great stories and they they the the market outside of direct the direct market, like those are the stories that, that people really like. I'd love to see more of that in the direct market. I'd love to see more of the like, yeah, this is a weird little story, but it's really important to me. And, and I think those are those are the most those are the most fun stories. And that's what yeah. Moonshadow was. That's what Cages was. It was people taking their little their little worlds in their heads. And the things that they cared about, and they turned them into stories. With I mean, in the case of Moonshadow, with a giant talking teddy bear <laughs> who smokes a cigar and has a boiler hat. But like, that's the stuff. That's anyways. Sorry, that's the stuff that I I I, I want to see more of. That stuff, and I want to see that those as a reader and as a fan mm-hmm. of comics. I want to see those. I want to see those other voices. And you know, we we. We need to protect those voices. We need to amplify those voices. We need to we need to praise. We need to praise the voices that that capture capture our attention. And we, when other people are say, "Hey, you need to check this person out," we need to go and check that person out. I mean, there's some amazing people doing stuff. I see stuff on Twitter that makes me like want to put down my pen and just never draw again. And I there's not a day that goes by that I don't see something. I mean, particularly we did, there was that thread. Um, they're, they're, they come up, you know, every, every few months, but there's, you know, drawing well black or, you know, uh, female creators and stuff. And you get these amazing thread, threads of, of creators. And uh, like on, on one hand, it's like, wow, this is like amazing work. And on the other hand, it's like, wow, this is amazing. I suck. <laughs> um, <laughs> But the the funny thing is I mean I I love those threads and I love I love seeing what people are doing and mm-hmm. I have on I I have on more than one occasion like said, "Oh, hey, I'm going to send a link to this thread or this artist to an editor." Um particularly like if I'm doing a, a project for a younger audience, like mm-hmm. no one wants to see me draw those characters. Let's get someone young and new and different in there and so yeah, so I'm always, I'm always paying attention to that. But that's, again, it's, that's, that's the good side of Twitter is, yeah. is you get exposed, you get exposed to those, yeah. those just insane, insanely talented people. There's somebody who put something up and I won't embarrass them by, by trying to pronounce their name, but you know, who was like just out of college and was doing just like work that put the rest of us to shame and it, you really like those people you really you want to message them and just be like okay could you like maybe not be so good <laughs> just like <laughs>
0: turn, turn it back you're uh, you're embarrassing just turn it
1: back me. just a I little I mean, my mailing
0: my hbo deal stop it
1: <laughs> just stop i just i just when i have that development money just <laughs> back off then then you can go nuts um <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, my generation, you know, we did black and white. I mean, back mm-hmm. to the first thing I'm doing when we make any money with scale to tree, me as a colorist. Um, we, you know, we did it all by hand and we and we just worked black and white and the, the roles were all very separated. I mean, most of the time you didn't ink yourself as I'm sure you know. And now you're seeing these young creators who like, their coloring is just, I mean, the drawing is strong, the you know, there's, it's not, not saying their drawing isn't good, but, you know, people like me who don't know how to color. And then you have these amazing artists in black and white who can also do amazing color work. And you're mm-hmm. just kind of like, you're just making my job harder now. Yeah. yeah. So you, you need to stop that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what, what I need to do is start up a studio that you can come in and do <laughs> that stuff with. Oh, yeah.
1: I like the way you think. So <laughs> yeah. often. Matthew,
0: you have been incredibly generous with your time. Thank you so much. My uh, absolute like,
1: pleasure. Delight talking.
0: Uh, we do like to finish off with, uh, generally with one piece of advice from our guest to potential people out there who might be looking for a bit of motivation, wanting to get along, wanting to do stuff. Uh, is there is there one? you've given a lot of advice in, in relation to just getting your stuff out there, but is there one pearl of wisdom that you feel that you could deliver? Are you possibly even geek or doctor who inspired <sighs> pearl of wisdom. Well,
1: my, 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 my usual tongue in cheek answer to this question is never wash your face with sandpaper, um, okay. which I think yes. is a very, it's a very good life rule, but mm-hmm. God, I mean, it's all the advice that, I would have given when I was younger is kind of that's my cat saying oh, well. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the advice that I would have given when I was younger like it's kind of meaningless now because you everyone can kind of do that stuff but it was always stuff about like how to break in
0: like yeah.
1: you know how to how to get your stuff out there mm-hmm. um, so probably you know, actually, I'll give you very, a, a very, very specific advice that actually pertains to skeleton tree media. And, and I'll try not to ramble too much. Sure. But there is, a, there is a backstory. So So uh, the biggest mistake I ever made in comics was agreeing to do Starman. Now, obviously, I'm saying biggest mistake, tongue is firmly planted in cheek. But it's also not. I came into comics uh, at a... At at a time at Caliber Comics, and I started out, and sort of my my workers so to speak, at Caliber Comics. The other freelancers were Brian Michael Bendis, David Mack, Michael Gatos, Phil Hester,
0: never heard Guy of Guy
1: Davis. Him. Guy Davis was still around. Um, <laughs> and who these hacks? Yeah, who are these hacks? What are they now? I mean, when your oldest when your oldest friend in comics is Michael Gatos, that's a whole new <laughs> ego problem, but. It's hard to ever have an ego when you're friends with Michael. Um, anyways, i I was maybe other than guy who I think was on Sam and Mystery Theater um, already. Like I was maybe the first guy to make of that group to to make the leap into drawing comics for the big two, right? And there's, there's a story behind how I got offered Starman, but I got I essentially got offered a, a fill-in issue of Starman as an artist. And I had up until that point, I'd been a writer and an artist. And I said, you'd like me to draw my second favorite book or one of my favorite books, that and Hellboy. Yeah, yeah, I'll come in. I came in and I drew the issue and, and it began my long association with DC Comics, which is great, except I never should have done it. Because what ended up happening was I was now an artist, ah. and every single time, I uh, every single time I tried to convince anybody to let me write something, it was a very difficult sell. And I was also an art as also an artist who was constantly being told by his editors, oh, "Could you make this a little less wonky? Could you make it a little more superhero?" Mm-hmm. And that was the path I'd put myself on. So this is very strange, but very specific advice. Where where Brian and Michael and David went right is, they struck true to their vision. This is what they did. And they waited for the companies to catch up to what they did. And now look at them. And I said, well, I really want to be drawing comics, so I'll just sort of nudge my style a little bit so that i can fit into dc comics which was fine don't do that draw the comics the way you want to draw them and yes maybe that means you won't be getting those jobs at dc or marvel or maybe in a few years dc and marvel will catch up to what you're doing and will understand what you're doing because the person, the, the people who have the, the most shelf life in comics think of people like Frank Miller, think of people like Mike Mignola. They don't draw like anybody else. Yeah. They don't draw, they, they don't draw the way you think, you used to think comics should look. They draw the way they want comics to look. Yeah. If you can do that, or if you can write the kind of comics that you want to write and don't try to appease your idea or your editor's idea of the, the audience, you're you're going to have, you generally you're going to have a much longer shelf life. So that, that was very, very windbaggy um, <laughs> of, of context, advice.
0: Context is important.
1: But it is, I, I mean, I often think, you know, all the other stuff is just like, it's, Meeting people, it's getting it's doing stuff and putting it out there. It's being serious about what you do. Take the work seriously, don't take yourself seriously. But my specific advice is don't, don't do the job if it isn't what you want to do, if it isn't the way the way you wanna do it.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. My absolute pleasure. This has been a delight.
0: Chappa free. That was Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. What the chain of command is? It's a chain I go get and beat you with till you understand who's in rutting command here. To contact the show, you can email us at Release the Geek, one word, at geekxp.co.za.
1: Thanks for listening. I'll be back.